definitely my mom is, is a huge impact in my life. And she's the one who got me into doing Ironman. She heard Ironman was coming to Texas in 2011 and was 55 years old and just thought, shoot, I, I want to be an Ironman. Um, she had never swam before. She started going to a master's program and didn't have a bike. And so bought a, you know, $600 aluminum bike and cut the sleeves off of her A&M t-shirt and went and did an Ironman like that. And she's just, I mean, tough as nails and just really been a huge, a huge push to, um, to dream big and to go do hard things. Hello, podcast world. Welcome to episode 45 of Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. At the tender age of 31, Bonnie Caulfield has already completed an astonishing 10 Ironman triathlons. Bonnie is the fifth of six children, grew up in an ultra-competitive family, and was inspired to take on an Ironman after her mom signed up for one at age 55 even though she couldn't swim at the time. Talk about strong female role models. Bonnie puts the E in extrovert, and her fire burns bright for all things Iron Man, and she enthusiastically shares her love for the sport with all in this growing community. It's rare to find your passion in life at such a young age. We took a deep dive on role model, mom, family dynamics, COVID, divorce, therapy, team dynamics, coaching styles, community, mantra, go do something amazing, and the positive impact of Coach Dave, her tri-mentor Jeff, and boyfriend Garrett. I got chills hearing Bonnie talk about racing every step of Ironman Texas 2019 with her little sister Betsy. What a special day to share and family moment to bond over. So much inspo in this one. Hope you all enjoy this convo as much as we did. So let's dive on in and take a listen. Good evening, Bonnie Caulfield. Welcome to Run Chats with Ron Runs NYC. How are you doing this evening? I'm good. Thanks for having me, Ron. It's great to see your smiling face. For everybody listening at home, Bonnie and I tried this one time and we had some serious technical Zoom drops and we just want to deliver the best possible experience for our guests and obviously for everybody who's listening to our show. So we're going for episode number two for us and we're rooting for really good internet tonight, a clean signal so everybody can hear Bonnie and the Jets' awesome story. <laughs> We're going for it. Yeah, we got this. So tell everybody what's going on down in Dallas right now. What's happening down there? Gosh, um, <laughs> good question. I mean, summer. Summer's <laughs> here in Dallas. Um, I don't know. Not too much other than that. I mean, I just I just raced uh, pretty recently. And so I personally have been taking um, a couple, I guess, you know, three, four weeks off, um, since I just raced. So I've been, I've been kicking it. I've been catching up with friends. I've been sleeping, which has been amazing. Um, but you know, summer's here. Love it. And we know, we know summer in Dallas and summer in Texas overall is pretty seriously hot. So you got to do what you can to keep cool and heck yeah, man, recovery. 
that is recovery. Extra sleep, sleeping late, you know, forget rest day brags. That's what it's all about. And, you know, if you're going to do any cross training at all, make sure there's just like, no, it's just chilling, you know, make sure cross training is instead of swimming, like, you know, four miles in the pool, it's just like floating around in a, in the ocean or a river and, you know, in a tube or something and just like kicking back yeah. and chilling. That's right. It's been sand, a lot of sand volleyball for me. Um, I love, love playing sand and I'm, you know, I'm not, not so quick when I'm in recovery mode. Um, but you know, it's, it's still fun to get out there and play and, and do something that I love. Hey, that's great. Um, I love any any way of shifting gears altogether and just getting out of our own sport. And if it's for runners, obviously, that's only one sport. But for the triathletes who are on, that's three. Um, and we all tend to be very uh, multi-athlete focused. You know, we all have a lot of other sports that we're into. For me, I love to play golf and I play in a lot of golf outings when I get out. Um, don't have friends that really will play tennis with me anymore because they're all complaining they're too injured or their shoulder or arm hurts. So that's a bummer. But whatever it is, that's great. And that's fantastic because you know what? You, you put these huge blocks of training in and, you know, you're doing Ironmans, which, you know, take a toll on the body at any age, at your youth or my, you know, older master's age. So you got to be kind to your body for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and mentally, I mean, that's maybe even a bigger piece of it for me of just taking, taking a break from, from the, you know, the regimen of the day in and the day out. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the biggest pieces that people don't really factor in is that mental load, that strain that even if we don't think that strain is there, you can feel your shoulders relax. If you make it through and you finish a race or a big cycle, and then you have, let's say a 10 day period where you're just going to give yourself full grace, or maybe even longer where you just say, okay, I'm unwinding right now. It's incredible how many hours ultra runners, really competitive marathoners put in, but for my try friends, and I certainly have had my years doing try, and we'll get back in and do some more now as I, as I got into the age 60 group, because uh, I got my own cone of dreams uh, of wanting to take take place one day. It's incredible just how many hours the sport requires from you. And I'm not just talking about the actual training hours. I'm talking about all the other stuff, the foam rolling, massage table, chiropractic, acupuncture, whatever the hell you are doing to keep that body upright and performing, you have all of those other things you have to do outside of our regular lives, which are our jobs and what we need to do to earn a living to pay for that crazy ass sport, right? Right. That little, little factor of work. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and by the way, they, you can't just be like, um, yep, it's me. It's Bonnie and the Jets. I need to get some, some try work done today. I don't think I'll be in. Um, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's probably not going to fly. Hasn't historically, no. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. You know, as you continue to rise up through the ranks and get faster and do more badass things, you know, who knows? Like I said, um, the last time, although it didn't make the air, you know, I already thinking and working on some potential sponsor stuff for you. So we'll see. Uh, we'll, we're putting the word out. And uh, that's what it's all about because uh, people that are working really hard and performing in a sport that requires so much, what a difference it makes to have you know, one sponsor, even just covering some portion, whether it's race fees, um, whether it's some equipment they're sending along, whatever it might be. It's just, uh, it can really make a difference um, for young athletes that are trying to compete. So it's definitely something that's near and dear to my heart. So we're, we're, uh, we're over here at Run Chats. We're going we're gonna to see what we can do. Try to help out. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I definitely feel 
Uh, I would love to love to get the right sponsor. And I, I want to be picky, not because I'm good enough to be picky, but because I want it to be somebody that I, I align with their values and that I believe in their products. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't need discounted t-shirts and things like that's not what I need. I need somebody to partner with me so I can do, do some cool stuff. So someday. Well said. Um, I think it's an important lesson too, for everybody out there in the big uh, social square that we live in, be authentic in every um, form of your life. Um, because it'll always come out in the end if you're not being authentic, because you, you're, you owe that responsibility to yourself first and foremost. Um, and if you can look at yourself in the mirror every morning or night and know that you're going about it in the right way and you know approaching life with some humility and you're working really hard, um, and you have grace for things, good things will come your way. But you know, the last thing you want is, like you said, to be lined up with a brand that really doesn't have anything to do with your sport or really doesn't understand what you're personally doing and there isn't a mesh or a match. So yeah, it's important. Very, very important. You bet. So I would like to hear, and I know the Run Chats audience like to hear a little bit about what was life like growing up for you? Because I know you come from a big family, very sports-minded, very competitive, but tell us a little about what life was like for you as a kid growing up, where you grew up also. Yeah, I so I grew up in Houston, and I am the fifth of six kids. Um, so we had a lot of people packed into one little bitty house and, um, it was great. We loved it. Um, all my siblings are about two years apart. Um, and so we're all pretty close in age and, um, you know, we had one TV and it didn't have cable. So we, we played outside, we played sports, we played street baseball, um, freeze tag in the front yard, climb trees, um, that, that was pretty much us. Um, in addition to tons of organized sports, um, we all, we all were required by my mom to do summer league swim team <laughs> starting from the age of four, all the way through age 18. Um, which we hated once we got older, but, um, now that I'm, you know, in adulthood, I'm really, really thankful for that, for that experience. Um, but a lot of sports, we were all, um, really, really pretty athletically driven. Um, and so, I mean, that was, that was soccer, that was softball and basketball and eventually tennis and track and gymnastics, um, cross country, you know, you, you name it and, and we played it. And so that was, um, really just such a big part of, of what, you know, made our family us. Fully exposed. Love it. Um, there's such a trend today of, of kids really specializing in a sport. Um, maybe they want to be a competitive gymnast and make the Olympic team, or they play lacrosse all year or on travel soccer, or travel baseball, whatever it might be. And God bless. Um, I'm all about chasing down your dreams and, you know, being, you know, going Captain Ahab hunting down the whale, whatever that might be. If that's Kona or running the Boston Marathon or whatever it is, running the Western States 100, whatever your big goal and dream is in life, you should go after it, man, with passion and just literally leave nothing to chance. You just go. Um, but for kids like us who are exposed to a lot of different sports, I just think it's it's wonderful um, because you learn so many different um, styles of coaching, for one thing. Um, you know, a soccer coach is going to be different than a football coach or, you know, volleyball coach is going to be different than a field hockey coach. And um, how they approach the team working out and trying to mesh together and, you know, how they treat workouts and trying to get you all fit for sports, it's all different. 
And instead of it being that one voice all the time, which can be great because you can form sometimes a super powerful connection and it might take a kid all the way to the Olympics or a pro sport, but sometimes it, it can lead to burnout and kids just being like, you know what, I'm done. I don't ever want to run again. I don't ever want to play another, you know, down a football. I'm not interested in kicking a soccer ball ever again. This is just too much for me. And, you know, so I see a lot of that, you know, in today's sports. Right. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And I, and I think specifically as it relates to running, you know, running is the punishment in most sports that you play. And so you get to adulthood and, and most (laughs) normal, whatever that means, adults hate running. And it's, I think so much of it is just that it was punishment as a kid, you know, when you're on whatever sports team and and you're associating pain and negative consequences with running instead of um, all the amazing things that running, you know, brings to the table for people. So yeah, but definitely agree with, with just all the different things that you learn in different sports and, and understanding different team dynamics and, and your different roles in each of those teams. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, you know, it goes back to like that old school philosophy philosophy of coaches. Running really was used as a punishment. It wasn't really just how kids interpreted it. It really was. It was like, okay, you know what? Somebody effed up this drill. We're running suicides. We're going to run 20 suicides until people's tongues are hanging out of their mouth. And that's that. Or you're going to climb ropes in the gym or whatever. There was the punishment factor was big. Um, I know I'm like double your age. So I don't know how much of that continued to be prevalent maybe when you were growing up. But when I grew up, yes. And it was like, okay, fine. You want me to run? I'll run. I'll run anybody into the ground because I was always getting chased around by my older brother who was like fully grown at 12 and his friends who were like twice my size. And if they caught me, they were going to kill me in football or whatever game we were playing. So it made a lot of sense for me to develop moves and be able to cut and be able to have a burst of speed, man. And also to be able to keep going, man, when I was like gassed and my lungs were like coming out of my chest. So um, important, important life skills. And as you know, growing up in a family of six, it's not always all fun and hugs and love and games and get a little competitive and get a little feisty, right? That's right. Absolutely. Run, run to survive sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Right. And what about like competitiveness just in the family at home, like with game nights or things like that, Were you guys like all up in it? Like everybody has to win or is it more like, were you guys all chill? What was the, what was the family dynamic like? We definitely had a competitive family, um, specifically, I would say in regards to board games and, and games at home, um, you know, in games that we, like I said, played outside, but, but in terms of like sports and academics, I think we all kind of had our own niche that we, um, enjoyed and, um, excelled at. And, and so we, I wouldn't say we were particularly competitive in terms of like organized sports of who's, who's better at what. Um, but I mean, get us all together around a game of Parcheesi and yeah, things, (laughs) things would get fiery. (laughs) It's on. Yeah, no doubt. Without a doubt. I would say like, we're about 90, 95% of every guest has ever been on. That's the style of everybody's family. And some of it extended into sports too. Like, you know, brothers and sisters trying to kill each other or beat the hell out of each other, um, or, and never lose to each other under any conditions. But it, it, definitely makes an appearance when the risk board comes out, Monopoly comes out (laughs) or whatever the family game is, Battleship. I don't care, man. I've, I've heard some stories, man. People cheating a 
shit games, yeah. and manipulating the money and monopoly. I mean, it's I've heard it all at one point or another, but it definitely cracks me up. So game night, game night was to be taken seriously in your house. Yes, absolutely. And, st- and still would be. And yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, you're not going to lose the edge now as you get older. It's like, come on, I'm ready to take these people on now. Let's go break it out. And if Parcheesi was your thing, let's, you know, let's go. It's on. on. All right. So well-rounded with sports, as was your whole family. Um, Take us to like, say, high school, first real identification of sport or, uh, you know, sport or sports where you really decided, hey, I really like something and why. And, you know, how did that impact you during those years? Yeah, I think that that story kind of starts back in probably fourth or fifth grade when I started playing club soccer. Um, I definitely was the best at soccer in terms of any of the sports that I played. And so, um, and I really loved it. I had a a group of, um, girls that I played with for a number of years and, and we all went into the club scene kind of at the same time. And, um, and I really, um, I enjoyed it, but I really got burnt out. Um, kind of like, like you were talking about. And so I, I played club soccer from fourth through eighth grade and just had a coach that kind of tore down my confidence. And um, so, I don't know, I, I just kind of got rattled and, and kind of stopped loving it, um, got exhausted of it. And so um, stopped wanting to play that in such a kind of year round form. Um, but going into high school was kind of a cool opportunity for me to go and play at a much lower level than that and kind of refresh my, my love for the game. Um, and so I got to play soccer through high school and, and kind of, uh, be the star of this terrible high school team that I was playing on, you know, with girls who had picked up soccer in the last like year or two, um, because their dad taught them in their front yard. Um, and so I, I did that and that was, that was really a cool confidence boost for me. Um, just having kind of been torn down through middle school and then getting the opportunity to really thrive. And, um, so that was awesome. And then, um, I really enjoyed volleyball too. Um, and so I played that through high school, um, was, was never near as good as I was at soccer, but enjoyed it and, and had a great group of classmates who I got to kind of, you know, grow in our volleyball career with. Very cool. Um, and great lessons learned. Um, you know, some people really respond to that super aggressive, you know, push somebody to the brink of it style of coaching really, really well. And they just, they're cut out for that. You know, it's like, no matter how hard you push them, they're going to push back and they're going to be like, I I can take it. And other people, not, not really the way it's meant to be. And unfortunately that happens way more than it should. And in your case, what a really cool fork in the road to have a chance to be on a high school team that wasn't a great team, as you said, where a lot of the kids had just really learned and, you know, just got into it, um, who weren't on all those super competitive travel squad team like you were, you know, competing against really other talented teams all the time and in that pressure cooker. And you get a chance to kind of recapture your uh, love for the sport again. So that's super cool. Um, and no doubt the difference in coaching philosophies had the biggest impact on that. Right. Or would you say it was just being around a, also around a different group of girls that you were playing with, was that as important or was it more just the coaching philosophy and style? I think both, uh, really both of those different 
uh, different elements, um, you know, kind of getting to high school and trying to find myself of who am I in this new big school? And then finding that even as a, a tiny, you know, 14 year old playing with all these, you know, big 17 and 18 year old girls that I could still shine out there. Um, that was really great. Um, and our, our coach wasn't, um, he wasn't necessarily the most knowledgeable, um, once I got to high school. And so I kind of got to bring what I knew to the table too, and contribute it and, and really be a leader on my team. Um, which was great, but he, he really, um, just cared for, cared for us girls and, and our hearts. I don't know. I don't want to like make him sound, you know, overly sensitive or something like that, but, but just took care of us more as humans. Um, and, and maybe knew less about the soccer side of it. And so that was really different and, uh, kind of just gave us an opportunity to <laughs> play without the the pressure that, you know, that, that go, 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 um, kind of coach would give. That's wonderful. Um, coaches like that deserve a shout out. Um, that's why I ask every guest about coaches and mentors that matter. And those coaches and mentors don't have to be athletic. I mean, it could be your history teacher. It could be somebody who encouraged you to write or pursue art or music or any other, you know, skill that maybe you didn't know, um, that it was going to be what it was going to be. Maybe it really wasn't so blatant and obvious to everybody. Maybe not even your parents, but they noticed something about you, um, that teacher and they, took a special shine or interest in you. And when they um, make that sort of connection, you know, with a student or an athlete, it has a big impact on people's lives. And then when it has that impact, what I love about it is it, you want to pay that forward. You, you remember that experience yourself, you know, you're smiling, talking about the experience and it's how you wanted to be coached. It's how you wanted to be treated, but it's how you wanted all the other kids in your group to be treated as well. Um, and Lord knows you are competitive. So it's not about being competitive or fiery or being able to mix it up. It's just the styles that we respond to as humans. And that's what makes it really interesting to me. Agreed. Yeah. Coach, coaches have tough jobs trying to figure out how to motivate each kid individually. So um, respect to coaches, even the ones who don't um, necessarily do it, do it well or do it the way that I would prefer. Yeah, it's it's not easy. And in many cases, they're not even getting paid at all. And it's just part of their, you know, enormous amount of hours and commitments they have. And they all have their own families, too. So they have a lot of responsibilities. And um, and some are just only focused on winning and results and getting to states or winning titles and things like that. And then they tend to be the ones where more issues or more problems could come up. Because when you are focused singularly only on winning and the result and the trophy, a lot of times that's when the other stuff starts to happen. Like we need you to be this weight or we need you to do this amount of work when you're not playing soccer with us. We need you to do these workouts on the weekend and we want you to be weight training and doing all these other things. And, you know, face it, um, everybody's bodies are frailer at that age, but certainly girls' bodies are way different at 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 with hormones and all the other changes that are going on in their bodies versus young men. And it's not to say that young men aren't prone to getting stress fractures and injured or other things because they are. I mean, face it, it's a fact. But nutrition and all these other things are going to impact particularly girls in their youth a lot more if they're not eating enough, getting proper nutrition, and they're being coached in a way like, hey, you know, you should be 
at this weight, or you should be doing these things or that. So mm-hmm. yeah. Oh yeah. Don't, don't even get me started <laughs> <laughs> on the way that we treat women, the way that we look at women, the way that we, um, expect women to be all, all of the things fiery and feisty and smart and articulate and beautiful and put together. Um, but also sweet and kind and tender and caring. And I mean, women are expected to be everything, um, all while having it all together. And it's just, it's, it's tough, especially for, for girls in their youth who, who maybe don't have a good perspective of like what's realistic and what's not. So what helped you find your way through that period? And, you know, was it leaning on your mom or your siblings, a friend in school, or like anybody else, did you just struggle with it and not really figure it out at all? Because I know most of us don't. So just tell me like for in your own experience. Um, I think, I think my family was a big part of that. Um, so the six of us kids, um, there are five girls. And so, um, you know, I have this, this shared experience of growing up in the family that I did, um, with all of my sisters and seeing them go before me and, and all of us are really different. Um, we, most of us look pretty similar, um, in terms of like our faces, but, but we all have different body types and we all look really different. And, um, and so seeing my sisters do their thing kind of empowered me to be able to, to do my thing. Um, but I also, I'm, Gosh, so thankful that I grew up without social media. Um, I didn't have a cell phone until I got into college. I didn't, I didn't Facebook. I didn't, you know, really MySpace, anything like that. And so I didn't have all of these images that that students these days have in front of them that are just saying, "Be be prettier, be slimmer, be tinier." You know, you have these dimensions of your body that are unrealistic. Um, that, that just sounds like a nightmare to me. And I, I am so sad for all of the girls that are struggling with that because of all of the social media influences. Yeah. Well said. Um, they have to navigate a very, very different world. Um, you're, you navigated a different world than I did and they're navigating a different world than you did. So hundred percent, um, right on. Um, it's just, uh, it's a very different time and the pressures can be extraordinary. Um, and how are you supposed to look? How are you supposed to act? What are you supposed to say? What are you supposed to post? Um, and forget about, you know, Instagram and Facebook are like two things. There's like 900 other things that younger kids have that, you know, I don't even know what some of those things are and I don't want to know. Um, you know, I'm very happy to live in my Instagram, Strava, Facebook world. That's enough to do. And then throw the podcast and my work life in. And I surely don't have any more time to spend divvying up on other things. But these are real world things that kids uh, struggle with and image and are they accepted? Are they fitting into, like you said, how they look by groups that they want to be accepted by and all. And you know, I, I really had it pretty simple. I mean, we had less classes of kids. I mean, there were kids who did drugs and like, you know, experimented and yep, that wasn't me. And then we're the jocks and there were the kids who were just like, you know, kind of whatever 
who knows whatever the other group was. And then there were like the kids who did like arts and school stuff and performing and, and then just, you know, regular old kids that just maybe didn't do any of those things. They were just like that, but that was about it. You know, that was however many groups there were. Now there's probably like a hundred subgroups and, and then maybe more beyond that. So yeah, I, I crave the simpler times and, um, you know, you know what we, um, we talked about a little bit the last time, you know, internet, you know, we didn't, we had nothing. I mean, that's why we went to the park all day. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade that experience growing up for anything. I mean, I never woke up on a Saturday, like wondering what I was going to do. It was just as soon as I woke up, that was it. We were at the park for the entire day and Sunday. And those were on days when you didn't have games, of course. And, whatever. And, you know, my mom, um, you know, I know your mom's a big influence in your life, um, and had a big impact on you. And my mom was that woman who's literally everywhere and literally got us everywhere and taught us everything. Hey, my dad isn't with us anymore. God rest his soul. But, you know, when they got divorced, you know, we just didn't see very much of my dad at all. You know, we saw him at the holidays and whatnot, but, you know, he wasn't at our games. He had two businesses. He had a very, very busy life. He was a very hard worker, um, but he just, you have two businesses, not one, two. You're, you know, it was a gas station and pizzeria. So they were simple businesses, but they're demanding businesses where you have to be there. It's not, it's not like running a company, like a Fortune 500 company, where you might be able to say, I'm going to cut out and go check out Bonnie's soccer game. No. I mean, it's a gas station and a pizzeria. You got to be there. You know, you got to be there working and, you know, watching over the business. But without my mom, I mean, my mom taught us to throw a baseball, throw a football, you know, not only play every sport, but to be tough and to be feisty and fiery. And man, if we ever came back from the park, like bloodied or whatever, and been like, you know, hey, mom, you know, where are the Band-Aids at? She just give you a look like, you know, you know where the Band-Aids are, like, whatever, go back to the park. What are you doing home? You're fine. You know, if you, if you can't play with your brother's friends, cause they're too big or too tough for you, then play with your younger brother's friends or your own friends. Like, you know, <laughs> suck it up. You know, it's like, I'll be like, what? You know, but now I'm like, yeah, mom. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for being tough on us. Thank you for raising us to be gritty. And you know what? She's for a tiny little Irish woman at 89. She's lived through 30 years of lymphoma, multiple cancers, you know, got COVID, had the highest pulse oxygen rate of anybody in my family who got COVID. So she's a baller. She's as mm -hmm. tough as they come. And I know for me, you know, when I ever get into a dark spot in a race or in some really hard part of my life, she's always the person that I go to. So in your case, is that your mom? Is it other, is it another person or is it multiple people? Like who is, who is your person who like inspired you and is like in you when you get into the tough spots in life and in Ironman races? Um, well, it's, I mean, it sounds like my mom and your mom would get along very well. <laughs> We maybe need to introduce them after this. Love it. Um, but but yeah, I mean, definitely my mom is is a huge impact um, in my life. And she's the one who got me into to doing Ironman. Um, the, the story is much longer and there's much more details to it. But she, she heard Ironman was coming to Texas um, in 2011 and was 55 years old and um, just thought, shoot, I, I want to be an Ironman. Um, and so she did. Um, she had never swam before she started going to a master's program and, um, didn't have a bike. And so bought a, you know, $600 aluminum bike and cut the sleeves off of her A&M 
t-shirt and went and did an Ironman like that. And um, so being out there and seeing her do that is, I mean, that was the moment that I knew that I loved. I loved Ironman. Um, and she's been, she's been at every single one of my Ironmans. Um, we actually raced our, both of our first and only 70.3 together, um, in gosh, I think it was 2017, um, that we got to race together, which was amazing. Um, but she's, she's just, I mean, tough as nails and just, um, really been a huge, a huge push to, um, I don't know, just to dream big and to, to go do hard things, um, just with her, I don't know, representing that for me, which has been really, really cool. That's such an amazing story. Yes, they would be friends. They would definitely be <laughs> friends and uh, they will 100% get along. But um, I, I just love hearing about these kind of stories because we're all shaped by something, something formative somewhere along the way. And it can be when we're super, super young. It can be when we're a little older, but you know, what an experience to have never even been swimming and, you know, like says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start swimming at 55. Oh, don't worry. There's only a 112 mile bike and a 26 mile run. I won't worry about those either. I'll just buy myself a little 600 hour aluminum bike. I don't need any, I don't need to worry because I can just do it. I mean, God bless. I mean, literally God bless because it's people like that in life that can have such an impact um, and not only to you, obviously, to your to your sisters, to the rest of your family, um, but also to the whole damn community. Um, it's just, it's so inspiring. I mean, you know, that is, to me, is living a fearless life, okay? Because you better believe she must have been <laughs> scared the hell out of her mind, you know, when she said she was going to do it and told you she was going to do it, but she knew there was no way she wasn't going to do it, okay? So she just had to figure out how she was going to do it. She wasn't looking for the way out. She was saying, okay, my chips are all in the center of this table, and now I got to figure out how to pull this off. And I just think that is literally the coolest thing ever. Like amazing. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I, you know, I look at people like, you know, you or I, and I am, you know, now 31 and gifted athletically. And so for me to go do Ironman, it's great and awesome and really difficult and all the things, but, but for somebody like my mom who, had no background in this sport and and picked it up at 55 or for the person who's lost 200 pounds to go do an Ironman or, you know, these, these people who beat cancer, like there's so many more amazing stories out there than me just doing a bunch of Ironmans, you know, and, um, and, and my mom is that she, she embodies that. So well said again. Um, there is just so much in the sport to inspire you. Um, handicapped people, Down syndrome people, people missing limbs, complete, you know, two limbs, not one, two. Um, and as you said, the age, um, the ages keep going up further and further of people that are doing these extremely difficult sports like Ironman or an ultra marathon or running a sub three hour marathon in your seventies. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, we have, uh, Jeannie Rice has run, 252 at 60 
I don't know if she's 63 or 64. My friend Gene Dykes is like 73. He's run like 252, 253. I mean, this is just remarkable, mind-boggling accomplishments. A 68-year-old male finished the Western States 100. The temperature hit 106. I mean, they had like 27 or 30% of the race dropped out. And a woman, the highest age woman finisher, I believe is 58 this year. So it just keeps going up and up and up. And there's so much inspiration out there. And I think it's so cool that you had it from your mom and that, you know, you use that to, you know, say, I'm going to get into this and do this myself. But, you know, that you're realizing just how much else is out there besides you and your mom. And I enjoy talking with people like that because whatever we're doing personally, in a way, we're really doing it for ourselves, right? We are. You were trying to prove to ourselves just like how far can we go? How can we get the most out of ourselves? How how much can we actually challenge ourselves to be the best that we can be? But, you know, at the end of the day, there's really not that many people that are that invested in your journey. Of course your mom is. Of course your tri-club teammates are that you're in the pool doing the laps with and doing the long rides with. Hell yeah, they're invested. But outside of that window, I don't care if you got 5,000 followers or 5 million. The rest of those people, we all know they're along for the ride. They're going to make a comment. Yeah, Bonnie, you rock. Yeah, Ron, you're great. But at the end of the day, they're, they're not really aware of what you're doing. Okay. And it's just, you got to be doing it for the right reasons. You got to be in the sport for the right reasons. And if you're aware of other people that are inspiring. And on your show, talking about that, that tells me 100%, you are 100% in the right place because you know what? It's a sport and a community that we want to foster giving back, focusing and being humble and helping other people that might be thinking about taking this journey in life. You know, if your mom hadn't said that and done that, who knows? You know, Maybe you would have never done an Ironman. I don't know. Um, but the odds are probably not. I mean, you know, I don't know what you would be doing cause you're obviously super athletic and, you know, I know, you know, we didn't get into your college, but I know you played in college also and you played soccer in college. So, you know, to get a scholarship to a D one school and play soccer in college, it's, it's a big deal. So yeah, you're really athletic. But when we leave a college campus as a division one athlete sport, no one knows what's going to happen next. No one knows. You could be the number one singles player in tennis. You could be the best golfer on the team. You could be the quarterback on the football team. Whatever your sport is, when that day ends and you leave the campus, hey, a lot of people just end up drinking and gaining 20, 30 pounds and getting out of shape and reliving the glory days from their 20s and then never actually doing anything athletically. So I just think it's the coolest thing when somebody like you or, you know, your mom just says, hey, I'm venturing off here into the unknown in a sport where you have to learn how to do three things well, or at least maybe not well, but be able to at least do them well enough that you can safely and securely make it through the cutoffs of each one. You know, like you can get through the swim so you can get onto the bike, because if you can't get off the bike on time, then you can't start the run. But, you know, and that's a kind of a unique thing for triathlon. Most sports, I mean, yeah, there are cutoffs for marathon, but if you can run most of the race, you're going to make a cutoff. I mean, you could walk even a lot of it. Not saying that that isn't hard to do for a beginner 
I love all beginners and I love all runners. I don't care if you run a 12-hour marathon. I don't care if you walk all 26.2 miles. I still love you and I still respect you. But, you know, and try, that is one of the unique things. Like if you can't make the swim cutoff, you know, your day's over. Yeah, it's the, the beauty of the sport that you've got to be proficient in, in everything. Yeah, yeah. So, so after your mom, you know, throws down, makes this commitment, how did it play out for you? Like where, what age were you at this point and how long did it actually take you to go from, okay, my mom's going to do this. It's time for me to, uh, to get into this, get into the arena and become a triathlete myself. How long did that take to unfold? Uh, too long, <laughs> <laughs> too long in my opinion. Um, no, it, it was the, the timing all worked out how it should have, but, um, so she raised that in 2011. And when she did it, I mean, I had no idea, like, like you mentioned before, I, I didn't know anything about triathlon. Um, and so who knows if I would be doing it now, if she hadn't picked that up, but, um, I, I knew that I loved it immediately. Just being out there on race day, the, the people, the energy, the crowds, the volunteers, I mean, all of it. I was like, I love this distance. Um, and I want to do this. Um, and I was just, I guess, finishing up school. I was about to start my career in teaching and was about to get married. And so, you know, that was a conversation with my, you know, soon to be husband. And it was, it was like, Hey, this is a really cool thing. Let, let's talk about if this makes sense for me to do. And, um, we didn't have any money. Um, uh, we were planning a wedding, we were trying to start a life together. And so, you know, we kind of agreed together and really with, with his leadership that, um, that it didn't make sense. And, um, and, and I was okay with that. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to do Ironman, but I, I knew that, um, marriage is important and careers are important and all those things are important. And so, um, I started my career in teaching and I, I taught high school math and um, coached soccer, volleyball and track. Um, not necessarily all three of those in, in the same um, schools, but um, and while I was teaching, it just didn't really make sense for our life. And that was kind of a, a decision that we made together. Um, and and I, I knew that I wanted to do Ironman, but I knew that the amount of time that I had to give towards teaching and coaching um, and towards my marriage, I didn't have the time for it. Uh, we really didn't have the money for it. Um, and so it just didn't make sense. Um, and then in gosh, 2014, I was, you know, at home in the house that I grew up in visiting my mom. Um, and I remember my husband at the time calling me and, you know, we talked about, whatever. But, but at the end of the conversation, he was like, you know, I think that maybe it makes sense now, you know, you're going to be wrapping up your teaching career and pursuing something else. And maybe now's the time for you to not to do an Ironman. Um, and I was like, when we get off this call, I'm going to sign up for one. So only <laughs> say this if you mean it. Um, and, and, you, you know, we talked about it and, and decided that it was a good time. And so we got off the phone and I signed up for Ironman the next year um, and was like, okay, now I've got 10 months and I need to find a bike. I need to find some friends who do this sport um, because I didn't know anybody in the Dallas area who did triathlon. Um, I need to get back in the pool because it had been, you know, 
six or eight years since I <laughs> swam a lap or, you know, pulled out my goggles. Um, and so I had 10 months and, you know, I kind of backtracked it and picked a few sprints and I picked one Olympic to do leading up to Ironman. But, um, 2015 was, uh, my first Ironman after that. So I guess four years after my mom raised her first one, I got to, I got to, you know, accomplish my dream. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a super cool timeline. Um, and yeah, these are family decisions. These aren't individual decisions. And if you make an individual decision without talking it over with your spouse or partner, we all know that isn't going to end well anyway, because it takes so much time. It is such an enormous time commitment. Um, not even factoring in, you know, whether you have children or any of those other kind of things, um, you have a pet. It's just extraordinary amount of time commitment between the hours in the pool, the hours on the bike or the trainer, and then how much time are you on your feet running um, on the roads or on the trails? It just, it takes a tremendous amount of self-sacrifice. So you need your other half to be on board and supporting. And also if you're um, not only teaching, but coaching multiple sports, certainly you would not have had um, the time. Maybe if you wanted to get involved with doing sprints or, you know, just do um, on the shorter end, you probably could have pulled that off fairly easily and, you know, dipped a toe in the water. But like your mom, like mother, <laughs> like daughter, you're just all in 100%. He gives you, you know, his, he says he thinks it's cool timing and you're like ready and signed up the next day. So there's <laughs> no hesitancy. Like mom, like daughter. Okay, mom did it. I'm doing it. Yeah, I'm in. Signed up. Don't worry about the pool. Don't worry about the bike. Don't worry about who I'm training with. I'm going all in. It's a family trait. Yeah. And I mean, you, you figure it out. Like if I would have given myself four years to figure it out, then I, it would have taken me four years to, to figure it out. And so I'm really thankful that I chose to do it that way. And, um, you know, there were probably a hundred things that I did wrong in my first Ironman, but, but that's part of it. You, you go and you do it and you, you learn from it. And, um, I'm just, I'm really thankful that me from 2014 was, bold enough to do that, you know, cause, cause now I, I found a thing that I loved. Um, cause I think that was, I think that was kind of a fear that I had was that I would race Ironman and finish and just think that was <laughs> so long and so hard and so miserable. And I actually hate that. Um, I was nervous that I would feel that way. And I just committed a, you know, almost a year to training for this thing. And I spent a lot of money trying to get ready for it and, um, put, the, put the strain on, on our marriage. And, um, so that was really a big fear that I had. And, um, when I did my first one and, and crossed that finish line, I was like, Oh, nope. <laughs> the fear is gone. I mean, that it was incredible. I loved it. I loved every second of it. And, was like, okay, I knew that this is what I was made for. And, and this validated that. Super cool. Um, you know, every once in a while you get people that take on a massive goal like that. And, you know, I call them the one and done folks, whether it's, they run one marathon and say, this isn't for me. This is what I wanted. Uh, wasn't what I expected. And I just wish people would give themselves a little more time for something because there's just so many elements that go into longer distance. Um, you know, racing, whether it's Ironman triathlon, 70.3, um, half marathons, 
you know, a 50K ultra, which is on the shorter end, whatever it is, like there's just so much that goes into it. You know, your clothing that you're wearing, nutrition, you know, the weather on that given day, like how rested and prepared did you come in? Did you train properly? Did you taper properly? Like, and to think you're going to get it right the first time, it's it's really almost kind of silly. And if you go into it just to like you're you went into it with open eyes just to see if this was going to be your thing and you said you loved everything about it. Well, I guarantee you if you were putting like all these crazy goals on yourself, like I need to swim, you know, this 2.4 and this, like that's going to end probably poorly because A, you put too much pressure on yourself and B, time goals when you're first starting out, it just doesn't make any sense at all. It really doesn't. The way to enjoy a new sport is to go into it the way you did. You knew you're going to make mistakes. There's no way you're not going to. You could be a college swimmer and you could um, have a panic attack swimming because your wetsuit feels too tight or you get kicked in the head or you get elbowed and your contacts come out. There's just so many reasons that you could literally just start hyperventilating in that water and not just because it's my least favorite thing. It can happen to anyone, even the most elite of swimmers. And Ginny was on my show and she was a college swimmer and she talked about it. And I was just so surprised when she told me that. I just was surprised, you know? And then I realized this can happen to anyone. Just like I'm a really talented runner, I've been doing this a really long time. Hey, my races don't all go according to plan any more than anybody else's does. Watch the Olympic trials the last like couple of weeks. I mean, you know, people fall, they trip, they get spiked, things happen, they go out too hard, they don't go out hard enough, they get boxed in. So this is how we learn, man. And you found your thing on the first try, which is crazy because on a race that's that long, that has so many variables, it's much more likely that a lot of things would have gone wrong or a couple of things gone wrong enough to just say, oh man, this is just too much for me. I don't want it. So I want to know, because you said you just like loved it all, like be a little more specific. Like what did you love in that first one? What about that first race validated it all for you and like just told you, this is my path. This is where I need to go. Um, I think... I think the most, well, I guess, I guess two, two pieces that I really, really loved. I loved being able to look back at the journey that got me there. Um, I don't want to be like totally cliche, but I'm going to be totally cliche (laughs) that, you know, it, it really was about the journey. Um, and it was about the training and it was about all of the people who contributed to, to teaching me how to, to do triathlon and how to ride my bike and, um, how to unclip from my pedals and how to fuel, you know, that it was hundreds and hundreds of people who, who helped me figure out this sport and, um, really got to, to race week. And, and I typically like journal kind of the two weeks leading up to a race. And I just remember like writing, like, man, I thought that I would get here and, and feel so much pressure to, to finish. And, you know, I, I hope that I finish, but if I don't like, it's okay because I, I've learned so much and I've grown so much and I've gone from getting dropped on every single group ride, um, to now being able to hang with these groups and, and actually ride with these guys and, and run with some people that I, you know, really respected. And, um, and so I really, really liked that and was able to take those experiences and all those training sessions and, and just remember them and let them 
fuel, fuel my race of like, man, I'm, I'm here doing this because of the work that I put in. Um, and, and the amount of work that you put in it is what makes something gratifying, you know? And so, um, that was really, really great. But I also just loved that the community element was even present in race day. Um, you know, obviously that was a huge part of at least my training for the 10 months leading up to Ironman, but, but even on race day, seeing the, I mean, thousands, literally thousands of volunteers and thousands of spectators and, um, just all of the people that contributed to making it, making it an amazing event, event, like cheering you on, like, like you are in first or something. I mean, they really, do an amazing job of, of making everybody feel like a rock star. And so, um, those two things together were just like, Oh, (laughs) this is a dream. You know, I, it, it was great. That's fabulous. Um, you, you hit on some really great stuff there. I want to make sure we kind of go back over it a little bit for everybody listening at home, because there's some really important stuff in there. Um, journaling isn't for everybody, but I, in the world we live in, it's all electronic, right? Our watch uploads to Strava, our bike ride uploads to Strava, our swim uploads to Strava, or whatever other platform you use, but mostly everyone I know uses Strava. Um, And that doesn't matter what country you're in, that's just by far the most predominant platform in terms of just tracking and seeing what we can do, right? So we know all the miles are there, the paces are there, the temperature's there, the humidity's there, the heart rate's there, everything under the sun is there. You can share it to your coach. If you don't have a coach and you're coaching yourself, it's all there. But what gets lost, and I'm so happy I asked you that question, because what gets lost is when I grew up in running, you know, which is, you know, it's, I'm 60, so it's, it's literally like 30 years ago. When I grew up in running, everyone had a running training log, you know, and it was the most common one that you would get when you signed your subscription for runner's world, they sent you a running training log. It wasn't anything all that cool, but it had the days Monday through Sunday. It had areas for you to write about how you felt. If you wanted to put, you know, basic things down, like how many miles you ran, what your weight was, the day, the time you ran, all the basic things that you'd write. But I never lost sight of how important it was to put some specific notes about what happened in that run or that ride. I mean, it could be some crazy bird I saw or someone yelled to me, you know, when I was out on a run in Central Park and just made me feel like a million bucks, like you said, from the volunteers and the people that you worked with and, you know, getting dropped on rides like being aware of these things, okay? If you're not writing it down, maybe you're aware of it like in the back of your brain somewhere, but if you're writing some of this stuff down and you're being present in each of those days when you're in the pool and maybe you're not getting tapped on your toes as much and people blowing by you, which happens to me all the time in swimming um, or on the rides or on the runs. Like, so that was where I got to have my moments because the people who tortured me were all high school and college swimmers and they're all really good and they just were like absurd and I couldn't even do a flip turn. So I was just like <laughs> the laughing stock of the pool, but I loved making fun of myself because look, if you can't roll with that, man, you gotta have thicker skin than that. You gotta be able to make, look, I made fun of myself all the time in the pool, but when it came time to lead the bike rides out and do the climbs on the bike or do track workouts or like long tempo runs, I'd be like, oh, oh, sorry. Um, 
Yeah, you were torturing me in the pool the other day. Let's go. Pick it up. I don't want to hear anything. Get your ass up here on my shoulder right now. Let's go. We're climbing and it's time. Payback is a bitch. You know, so, but being competitive with your friends and like growing through that experience is amazing. But writing it down gave you the perspective. You, you were getting the perspective as you were going along so that you already realized how much you would gain before you ever even got out there for that race. So the race is the chance for the reward. It doesn't matter what time you finish in. The, the, re, the reward is just to be out there in that experience that day and to take it in. And if you're not making eye contact and saying thank you to the volunteers, and when you come through and you unrack your bike, man, you gotta say thanks to people. You gotta give people the smile, man. Every time you smile and make eye contact with somebody, you will get back 10 times more positive energy. You'll get back 10 times more karma. If you yell to somebody on the bike to hang in there on the run, or come on, let's go, come with me. Like you're gonna get so much more out of life, triathlon, marathon, whatever. So I know that you're agreeing with me because you're nodding your head. So <laughs> was that your experience? You know, do you feel that that was part of what made your first day, first Ironman so great? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, I mean, it's that quote, that's, how does it go? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, of just, it, it takes, it takes people. Um, it just takes people. And I, I love that you said like giving energy, you're going to get it back tenfold because I mean, that's, that's so true. And, um, that was, that was the best piece of advice I've gotten ever for, for racing Ironman specifically, but I think it's applicable, you know, for life and for racing other, other kinds of events, um, was, uh, a friend named Jeff Bennett, who, um, just, he was like, let me, let me give you some pointers for your first Ironman, you know, call me a week before and, and let's, and let's chat. And, uh, he gave me a lot of good tips, a lot of really, um, tactical tips, but, but the best thing that he told me was, he's like, you've got to, you've got to make it seem like you're having a blast out there, go have a party out there, talk to everybody, shake hands, high five people, thank everybody. I mean, you go make it a party, even in the dark moments. And even when it hurts and you don't feel like waving and you don't feel like acknowledging people go do it because it will, it will absolutely come back to you. Um, and that was so that's been so true for every, every race that I've done. Um, but also specifically for Ironman Texas, which is a three loop run course. And so, you know, as I'm talking to people, the first loop, and then I'm back to second loop and I'm still, you know, waving and smiling at them by the third loop. I mean, they all recognize me and they're like, Holy cow, like you still like have this much energy and you still have this big smile. And, um, they just kind of send me on home on that, in that third loop. And, um, it, it makes such a huge difference. I would not be able to race even close to how I race now. Um, if it, if it wasn't for that strategy of just giving energy to get energy back. I think it's, um, it's such a powerful lesson to learn. It also applies to all of life. As you said, you greet people in an elevator, you smile at them and just say good morning, say hello, 
you're out on a training run somewhere, it doesn't cost you anything to just, you know, wave, say hello, say good morning. Hey, you know, you don't even have to make serious eye contact. It's just like, whatever. I flash the peace sign when I'm out running such far. Hey, what's up? You know, like people will be like, Hey, I saw, I saw Ron runs. I always say like, Hey, what's up? You know, I don't know <laughs> half the time who these people are. I'm getting older. I can't see so great. I sure as hell can't hear so great, but you know what? They remember because they'll always remember if you smile. And even in your darkest moment, just like you said, man, I've had some, some rough moments out there. I had a contact lens fall out in the 100th Boston Marathon. And um, it happened because uh, I saw a little brother and a little sister, um, maybe about a mile and a half before the finish line. It's just um, maybe, maybe a little less than, yeah, I'd say about a mile and a half because I could see the Sitco sign. And it's just a little brother and sister who were just waving frantically. They wanted to give me their orange slice. And I remember cutting across the road to get the orange slice from them. And the kid's face lit up like Christmas tree, man. It was like he met Santa Claus and he was so happy. But as I grabbed the orange and I just stuck my thumb in it, it just squirted and hit me right in the eye. My <laughs> contact lens fell out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like a mile and a half to go to finish the 100th Boston Marathon. And I'm literally like, you know, closing one eye, going the other one. And I'm just like, I hope I don't like trip and crash into somebody. I hope something awful doesn't happen. But <laughs> as crazy as that was, I'll never forget that because in that moment, you know, that little kid, he's just so happy. You know, if you cut across the road and you high five a little boy or a girl that's out there, you know, maybe one day they're going to run the Boston Marathon or maybe one day they're going to do Ironman Texas because they saw Bonnie out there and she high fived him or smiled. So you just don't know you know, your energy that you're putting out there, who it's going to impact. And those volunteers is what I, I will preach till I'm in the ground. Those volunteers, that word should tell you everything you need to know. They're out there for free. They're giving their time. Okay. If you finish an Ironman in nine hours or in 10 hours, well, somebody else might be finishing it in 15, 18, or 20 hours. Somebody might be finishing a marathon in 12 or 15 hours. They're out there all day. Okay, so you know what? The least you can do is give them a little smile, say thank you, give them a high five, pay attention to them. And when you go through the line and you get your medal or something, man, give people hugs, man. That's, come on, man. That's what it's all about. Return the juice, return the energy. Yes, yes. And those volunteers are incredible. I mean, they they will do anything. They will touch anything. (laughs) I mean, my, my, you know, socks and my bike shoes that a lot of times have a lot of pee in them. I mean, they'll help me take them off. They'll put them in my bags for me. I mean, they, they are awesome. No qualms about it. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're rock stars. And, and I really wish, um, this year, I guess they're not doing, um, the red Ironman foundation bracelets, anymore, but they've done that in the past that you give your red bracelet to an awesome volunteer or spectator out on the course. And I love that Ironman was doing that because it's a way just to bring awareness to like, Hey, look at, at what these volunteers are, are sacrificing to, to be out here for, for athletes to get to race. Um, so I, I hope that Ironman will bring those back. I hope so too. Any way we can highlight volunteers in life, um, and not just in athletics, just any anybody who's giving of their time and service in the community, whether it's uh, church related or whatever. It's just um, 
it's a calling and it's a blessing. And for anybody who hasn't had the chance yet, because you know maybe you're a younger athlete and you're just getting your getting your wings about you and you're just learning about the sport, just think about a way that you can volunteer for a race. If maybe you didn't qualify um, and a friend you know gets to go to Kona or a friend gets to go to the Boston Marathon or some other big race that really matters to them. There's a lot of ways you can show up. I mean, maybe you can just show up and bring billboards and signs and run around and follow them on the course, but you could also volunteer for the race that day. You could be out in the course giving out drinks or giving out medals or doing something else. And I guarantee you, you'll thank me, you'll thank Bonnie, because you'll get so much more back out of it and you'll have so much more of an appreciation for the whole sport, not just the elites, not just the pros that are, you know, running crazy times and, and winning the prize money and, you know, getting on the podium or even the absolute best age group runners um, that are up there. You'll have an appreciation for every single athlete that's out there. And the ones who are grinding, the ones who are maybe suffering the most um, because it's just harder for them, you know, and they just can't, you know, do the paces or maybe it's the heat or nutrition or whatever they're struggling or challenged with. The longer you're out there, the more respect you have for me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So let's, um, so we know your first experience was like off the hook, amazing hooked for life. Um, and you can't ask for anything better than that. And, you know, so you have your community, what's your team that you train with, uh, down there? Do you have like a group that you work out with and train with? What's your, what's your group? I do. Um, we're Octane Athletics. Um, so kind of a small club here. We probably have 50 or 60 members, something like that. Um, all ages and all ability levels. Um, most people are probably more focused on shorter distance races, but, um, we have plenty of athletes who I, um, get to train with who do, you know, 70.3 and, and full iron distance. So it's a, it's a good little, it's a good little team that we've got going on. Nice. Nice. And do you guys have a really good pool? Do you swim indoors, outdoors, or both? Cause with the weather, you probably have both, right? We haven't trained together since COVID hit. Um, unfortunately. So, so all team training stopped. Um, we all still follow each other on Strava and give the kudos and have the Facebook group and all that. But um, we've all kind of been training independently and, um, you know, races are just starting back in the last couple of months. And so I know that a lot of my teammates are, have just been able to get back out onto the, to the race course. And so that's been fun to just get to support each other kind of on social media. And, and like I mentioned on Strava, um, just because, you know, it's, it's been tough with COVID, um, and, and a lot of my teammates have kiddos and families and all that. And so they're a little bit cautious towards, getting back in group training. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the, pretty much the same kind of more or less everywhere. Uh, my, my, uh, club team in New York city trained all year, um, and took extraordinary precautions and whatever, but I just chose not to work out with them at all. Um, just cause of my mom and she ended up getting COVID anyway, because she lives with my younger brother and, you know, look, once any of them get it and you all, you know how it works, everyone gets it. Um, and thankfully they all came through like champs and they were all good. Um, and the rest of us, you know, are all vaccinated and all, but still, I just didn't want to take the risk. So I just ran and rode a lot of miles alone, which I'm a social guy. I'm the group guy, man. I'm the group organizer. And it, I think it uh, took a couple of years off my life. No lie. Um, cause I miss that socialization so much and, um, yeah, I can't put a value on 
what it means to finish a run or a ride and just go grab coffee or brunch, or if it's later, a cocktail, a beer, and just hang out and catch up with people. Because maybe if you're riding harder or running harder, it's a little harder to have a full-blown conversation, but you certainly can get through the top of the wave stuff. But that is, um, that's something we all lost over the course of this year, not to mention losing a lot of people who aren't with us anymore. So it's been, it's been a brutal year and it's more than a year. It's easily, you know, closer to 18 months or even, you know, 20 months or whatever. But I think we can see, um, real racing has returned. Real Ironmans are going on. Real marathons are starting to go on. Um, we're still having some cancellations for sure, but not as many. So I think we're, we're really close. And, um, you know, once we can all gather at these races again, I think our spirits are all going to be going to be lifted so much for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's it definitely like you mentioned, it, it affected me really hard as well. I mean, I'm a big extrovert and and really just value value people a lot. And so going to working from home and not being able to train with with teammates or groups or anything. I mean, that was that was a really, really hard adjustment for me. And, um, and so I (laughs) grieved of sorts for a number of weeks, you know, as I started to see my races get canceled that I'd been training for, you know, I started training for Ironman Texas, probably November, December. And then when the world got shut down in March, it was like, well, shoot, I've put a lot of work in for these races already. And, um, so that was really disappointing, but just, um, you know, also something that I I love to touch on that I'm, I'm passionate about is just mental health. And, um, I know that, that not having my community and having everything shut down was really hard for me. And, and by about probably June or July, I was, I was like, man, I've, I've got to talk to somebody. I am not doing well without my people. You know, I'm, I'm on zoom meetings all throughout the day. So I'm still having those interactions. And, um, I live with my little sister and her husband. And so I had those interactions still, but I just, I was really, really struggling without my community. And so I jumped into therapy and I've been, you know, seeing my counselor since August and, um, she is absolutely wonderful. And it's just something that I'm really passionate about and encourage people to talk to somebody. Um, if you think that you're doing well, or if you think that you're not doing well, you know, it's, it's just, it's a really important piece to the, to just your overall physical, emotional, mental, uh, well-being. I'm glad you brought it up, uh, because the, the stressors are at all time levels. They're, there's not even a way to measure the kind of stress that we've all been put under. And that goes around the globe. It isn't a U.S. centric thing. This has affected us everywhere in the world we live. Um, and people who were alcoholics and stopped drinking, you know, the temptations are now, you know, quadrupled to some other level to start drinking again. Uh, people who use drugs or narcotics, their temptation level has gone up, you know, through the roof. Um, people who are extroverts like us are really struggling. You know, look, my son is living in Vermont with his girlfriend, graduated college, my mom and my younger brother's family. Like we are all doing the things that they told us to do. So we weren't gathering, we weren't getting together. I'm not seeing anybody on runs. You're not doing group rides and swims. You're not racing. Um, and yeah, and this is not something to just ignore and put away. Um, 
And I had my moments when I felt really good about myself when I was doing community-based things. So I ran 10 marathons in 10 weeks for frontline healthcare workers because I work in healthcare. So seeing my own employees and colleagues and people I interact with on a daily basis in the hospital healthcare system and are on the front line, just seeing the PTSD and the struggles and the suffering they were going through, I just couldn't sleep. So for me, I didn't go to therapy like you did. I think that's probably a way better way to deal with it and talk to a professional. But for me, I'm alone. It's me and my beautiful dog, Princess Coco over here, right? It's not like <laughs> she loves me, but it's not like she can give me a whole lot of feedback on how to you know, get through COVID, you know, other than the tail wagging and the hugs and the dog walks together. So for me, I just found that like I needed to do something. I wanted to do something and I felt like that could be some way I could impact you know, my community is something in an area where I work in and it helped. But the truth is, Bonnie, when those 10 weeks were over and the 10 marathons were done and those meals were delivered and then the messages aren't coming in anymore, you know, then it's right back to, okay, I'm down here again because I don't have anything to do. I don't have anybody to run with. I don't have any way to get my, you know, normal, you know, runner's high, feel good, connect with people, energy. And masks. I mean, for me, everybody's different. I had to, I wore a mask, of course. I got vaccinated. Other people don't or choose not to. Everybody has to make their own decisions in life. I'm not in charge of anybody. It's not up to me. I have a podcast, man. I like to stick to more basic things. But for me, just even not seeing people's faces in an elevator, even just those day-to-day interactions when you walk into the supermarket and get a couple of items and just smile at the cashier and just say, Hey, how's your day going? Oh, thanks, man. Have a great night. Like you lose all of that. Um, and I think it hits people like you and I harder, not saying it doesn't affect people who are more introverted because I'm sure it does. But I know for people who are way out there and have that kind of personality, it's just different. I live off that energy, you know? So whatever I give back, I I take back 20,000% more than I give out. And people don't understand how that works, but that's, it's self-sustaining for me, man. It's like solar energy. It's like the more I give out, I get back, you know, 20 times over and that's it. But I'm, I'm so glad that you realized how it was affecting you because I probably would have been a lot better served by, you know, going to talk to somebody. Although in truth, it probably would have been Zoom and I don't know that I could have done any more Zooms because between the my podcast and all my work stuff, which tended to be face-to-face in boardrooms or at hospitals or, or largest client situations, all became Zoom. And I think that became a thing too, like fatigue of just like staring into the screen. And it isn't just you and me looking at each other. You've got 12 people on, 16 people on, people talking at the same time. It's a free-for-all. So what you did was one-on-one and you know, how, how did it help? Like, how did it, you know, change your situation from where you were? Um, I think, I think one of the biggest things is just that it, it forced me to, um, be disciplined about talking about how it was affecting me. Um, it just in a totally unbiased way, you know, in a way that I didn't maybe wasn't able to talk to my coworkers about it or in a way that I, you know, was able to talk to my friends about it. This is just a professional who is here to 
to cheer me on to be the best version of myself. And, um, I, I really appreciate the discipline, um, of having to go to the hard places and have to talk about hard things. Um, cause if it was up to me, I would put all my emotions to the side and say, I'll deal with those later. I'm busy having fun. I'm busy training. I'm busy doing a lot of other things. I don't want to deal with my emotions. Um, and so I, you know, spent a lot of years being really, really good at detaching from, from the emotion of just life. And so, um, for me, jumping back into therapy was like, okay, no, 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 we're not going to ignore them, whether they're huge feelings or they're small feelings, let's, let's deal with them and let's face them head on. And so, um, it was just the discipline of every week, we're going to give an hour to, to addressing these emotions, you know, and that, that was really helpful. And, um, you know, my counselor was, is really, really great at just connecting. Okay. What am I struggling with now? And, and does that connect with something from my past, from college or from my marriage or from my childhood? You know, let's, let's put some of these pieces together and, and find what's important to me and what affects me and what triggers me that I maybe didn't realize triggered me or, um, all those kind of things, just kind of, kind of connecting the pieces of, of the, um, I don't know, experiences in life that, that really shake me, you know, including COVID, which shook the world. That's great. Um, I think, uh, we're all a work in progress. Um, just to, you know, to cut 30 years out of your life, you don't know all the answers at 60, your mom doesn't, I don't, or anybody else doesn't. Um, we're often looking back in our lives, but we're also looking forward too. Um, so it's great that you're, you know, trying to tackle, you know, these things that you were putting off to the side or not wanting to really necessarily face or come to grips with. And I think we'd all be a lot better off if we were talking to somebody who is skilled and good at this and is interested in our well-being. Um, because I, I honestly tell people all the time, you know, I say it running as my therapy. We all say, hell, it's a hashtag. It running is my therapy. There's a reason why, because we're moving and we just start to breathe. You know, we relax, you know, troubles don't go away, but many times some of my clearest thoughts in, in my life, in the world, I've solved some of the biggest business problems for my company or relationships with a client or personal relationships with my family or even close friends. Like I didn't realize the way it was actually happening until I got out there at some point on a run and said, wow maybe Bonnie's right, or maybe I'm not really looking at this the right way. Um, maybe another member on my team really does have the, a better perspective. And they're there on the ground every day. I'm not, you know, they're a key person on my team. I trust them. So you know what? I'm going to put 100% faith in her opinion on this. And we're going to go in that direction now. And we're just going to see where it goes. We're going to measure it. We're going to, we're going to try this out. So, so super cool. Um, and we all need <laughs> Man, we all need to have somebody to talk to. You know, as great as Princess Coco is, unfortunately, you know, she really just wants to give me a lot of licks and hugs, which are pretty sweet. I might, I got to tell you, but she's not big on advice. You know, she's not really like telling me, you know, what I need to do to keep it in order. So, you know, she's not therapy dog. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, and even therapy dogs, like, you know, as great as they are, you know, it's not the same thing. 
So we could uh, we could all use some couch time for sure, or Zoom time, or however your format was. Were you going in person or were you doing it via Zoom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, the lady that I contacted, she was like, "I'm up for in person if you are," and I'm like, "Yes, please." Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she's she's wonderful. I think that's great. Um, just me personally, I feel like I would get way more out of it. You know, being in the room with somebody, um, and you know, like it can't be that hard. I mean even in the height of COVID, you could be more than six feet apart. So it couldn't have been that hard um, to be socially distant, but just to see the other person and, you know, they'd be able to see you and pick up your visual cues and, you know, Zoom, you know, you can see some stuff, but you can't see everything. And, you know, it's just, just the preferred, the preferred way to do stuff, man. In person, I'm going to take it I'm going IRL in real life for everything versus <laughs> uh, versus Zoom. Although I have to say my podcast, I don't even know if we would be here right now if it wasn't for Zoom. Because the truth is, I believe so strongly in the face-to-face. I believe so strongly in doing something at Ironman Texas, bringing my gear down there, doing the race, and then saying, I'm going to talk to Bonnie after the race, or I'm going to talk to her two nights for the race. And then you know maybe I'll talk to the race director after, you know, whatever, get a couple of guests lined up. That's always been my thing, you know, take my stuff to Boston, take my stuff to New York, like, and get some athletes on and then get a couple of shows done. And I just didn't think, you know, that I could do this thing this way, but I was wrong, man. I was really wrong because it can be very personal. You know, you're in each other's living room or wherever living room, this is my living room, (laughs) you know, you're in each other's living room, you could see each other and that changes the experience because I know for me, if you were, I couldn't see you, this would not be the same conversation. No way. Completely agree. Um, yeah, there, there's definitely an element about it of, of having eye contact and being able to, to see and, and, you know, put the, the tactical or is that the right word? Oh, tactile. Tactile. Yeah. <laughs> tactical's, tactical's racing. Tactile. Yes. For this. Yeah. Right. I love yeah. it. I was like, I'm close. That's not the right word. Though. You're yes. very close. You you were right there. <laughs> yes, but but completely agree. I mean, in person would be optimal, but you know, videos working working for me now. That'd be a long long flight from New York for for, for you. Um, yeah, so. but I have to say that's what I look forward to the most, though, is back to you know being at races and lining it up that way knowing and look everybody has busy schedules too uh, some people literally are flying in like the night before the race and everybody has so many other we're all managing so many different things in our lives um and they can be wildly different for me I'm at a very different point you know my son's graduated college I'm home here with my dog I don't I just have to make sure she's taken care of and I can basically get to a race three days early, five days early, or stay after. It just depends on what I'm doing and who am I going to meet when I'm in town? What sort of shakeout runs am I going to set up and social stuff and maybe some giveaways and fun ways to connect with other athletes. But yeah, I look forward to being back out there on the road at the races because the energy is even more jacked up, right? I mean, we're excited to have a conversation now, but it's very different when you know tomorrow's the race or in a day, in two days, I'm racing. So are you ready? Or how are the nerves feeling? Like, you know, it's just a different, you know, different, different convo. So yeah, you would, you would get a a blubbering mess out of me even more so than I already am. I mean, I race week, I just, I could cry over anything Um, just with that much emotion and anticipation. I just, 
Uh, you'd see, you'd see some tears. <laughs> All right. We're okay with tears, but this is, this is probably better than, you know, this is probably, probably better for, for this situation, but it is an interesting thing to think about because yes, everybody is different. Some people are incredibly nervous and get super high anxiety levels a couple of days before. And I'm just the ops. To me, it's like a party. It's coming together. I will race you, man. <laughs> I will cut you off to beat you in race. I will fight you to the tape. I'm not letting anybody beat me. I never let my son beat me at one thing in my life. I sure as hell never let my brothers beat me at anything. I can't be any more competitive. It's not possible. But to me, it's like communion, man. We're all coming together. It's like church for a couple of days. It's like all my friends are in from all around the world and we're in Berlin and we're going to run a marathon. How can I not smile? How can I not be having fun? And I get to I get to do my dance with all these people in two days. It's on in two days. Let's go. We're going to throw down. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to have fun together and enjoy it. But I ain't letting anybody beat me, including anybody who's ever been on my show. So it's on. Whenever we see each other to race, it's on. But we're still going to give big hugs when it's over. Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so let's get into, because obviously, I think if I have it right, you just did your 10th Ironman? I just did my 10th. 10 yes, Ironmans at what age? I'm sorry, I know you said 32, did you say? 31. 31. Oh my God, I'm adding a year. You're going to kill me. See, if we're in person, I would have just got a punch and I would have like said, here you go. Give me a good shot. 31, 10 Ironmans. That's completely crazy. Like unbelievable, like crazy in the best possible way. So like when I say the word crazy, that's like off the hook, amazing, like unbelievable. Like you'd be hard pressed to find a 31 year old athlete who has done 10 Ironmans and you're not just finishing them. You are running some amazing times, you know, putting down some amazing times, getting super close to Kona and like coming very, very, you know, in range to reach it, grab it, touch it where it could come to be. So we can't talk about 10 races, but we could certainly talk about your best. So I know Ironman Texas 2018 was your 1047, and that's your fastest race to date. Why don't you tell us about that race? Talk us through the swim, the bike, the run, and what your like best recollection of that day, because that's just like an amazingly fast time. 1047, like huge, amazing, fantastic. Yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. I was definitely shocked and thrilled with that. Um, but I think, I think it's important to understand where I was in my life, um, at that point. And so that race was, was April, 2018. And, um, I had moved out of living with my husband at the time in December. And then in, uh, really in February had decided to pursue divorce. Um, and so I, you know, was, was training through that training through that decision. Um, and that really just enormous life change. Um, and, you know, we'd spent, we'd spent a while, um, <laughs> trying to, to make it work, you know, in therapy and, and doing a lot of different ways to, different things to try and to try and make it work. And so, um, then racing in, in April, um, there was just a lot of like emotion in that and just a lot of, um, brokenness that I had just because of the, the mess that my life was. And so, um, training just really pulled me through that. It, it kept me 
it kept me focused. It kept me structured. Um, it kept me just moving forward day after day of like, okay, what, what do I need to do today to prepare for this thing? That's kind of keeping me grounded. And so, um, that's a really important like (laughs) picture of, of, you know, the groundwork for that day. Um, but weather wise, I would say that the day was pretty dang perfect. Um, it was virtually no wind. It was warm, but not too hot. Um, some of my teammates would disagree, um, but being from Houston, I'm you know used to the heat, and so it was I don't know probably mid 80s, something like that, and humid as heck. But that's that's fine by me. Um, and so you know my my a lot of my teammates were there. I probably had six or seven teammates that I was racing with. And so just getting to see them through the weekend was really, um, motivating. And, uh, of course I wanted to be competitive with them. Um, but, but really didn't know what I would produce, you know, just with my life being so messy, I didn't know if I would have an amazing race or if, or if it would kind of all fall apart and I end up walking, you know, a, a seven hour marathon, um, which is still noble in its own right. Um, but, but it all just, just came together. Just, um, the, the opportunity to do something cool, like an Ironman in the midst of a really like broken, just self, um, and self identity. Like that was a really, really cool thing for me. Um, and it it just propelled me, um, (laughs) you know, that's, that's the, the easiest way that I can say it. Um, you know, the bike was really it was a fast bike because of the lack of wind, um, on the Ironman Texas course, which is a really, really boring bike course. (laughs) Unfortunately, wind is like the biggest factor because it's so little climbing. It's just so pancake flat. Um, and so having a a really good bike split, I think that's the, the only time that I've ever averaged over 20 miles an hour for that distance, um, which I was pumped about. (laughs) Um, that really just propelled me to be able to have a, a really successful run. Um, and the run was the only part of it that I didn't hit my goal. Um, I really, really wanted to go under four hours, um, for my marathon and I did a four Oh seven. And so if I had to pick something to be disappointed about it, it was that, but I mean, I was just thrilled with a four Oh seven, um, And as I'm, as I'm running, you know, I was running into my coach and I was running into my teammates, spouses and friends and and all of these people. And I would, um, you know, I'm sure they knew what I was doing, but I'm like, you know, how's Monica doing? How's Ben doing? And and in my head, I'm like, where are they? Are they in front of me? You know? Um, but that was just fun to have them out there and get to see some of them throughout the day. And, um, see, see their people who, you know, kind of were my people. Um, yeah. And, and I, I had no idea what my overall time was. I mean, I, I had no clue. I didn't know I did a 407. I didn't know it. I did a 1047. And, um, just when I finished, I was just so, so happy. And so, um, man, <laughs> um, it was, it was just a really, really good day, um, amongst a time that was so hard. Um, that was, it was just a really hard season of my life. And so 
having, having my people there to, to support me in, in such a huge PR was, I mean, it was the best day. All race days are the best day, but that was another one of, of the best days. Um, and so my mom was the one who told me, um, my time. And I just, I was like, there's no way, like that's, that's wrong. <laughs> um, there's, there's no way I did something like that. Cause I think my previous PR was, I don't know, probably like right at 12 hours, something like that. And so, um, way faster. And so I was just overjoyed and overjoyed that I beat all of my teammates, um, <laughs> every single one of them, um, which was awesome. Um, and I felt very justified because some of them I work much harder than, <laughs> um, but yeah, just a really, really cool day for me. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And I love the emotion because you're, you, you were back there telling the story. Um, you were back there with your, you know, marriage dissolving and all that entails. Um, and anybody who's ever been in that spot or is maybe going through that spot right now, it's, it's a respite to be able to train and to train hard and to have the discipline every single day to know you need to either need to go to the pool or you're going to do a bike ride or you're going to run, or maybe you're even doing two of those three things. But it's a respite from being sitting around on your couch thinking, I can't believe this. I can't believe my marriage is gone. I can't believe this didn't work out. And all the things that swirl through our heads because it doesn't make any difference whether they're the ones who don't want to be married anymore or the other one, or it's a complete 50-50, which almost never happens. It doesn't matter. We have to deal with that trauma of realizing this is over. It didn't work. And no matter what we do, we're always going to feel like we failed at it. And it takes a long time to get through to that other side and realize, hey, I did everything I could do. And even if I didn't, I'll use that the next time around. If we're not learning in life, what are we doing it for? So if there is something that we felt we could have done better, and you know, you said you were going through therapy and all these other things, you, you can only do so much. It either can or it can't work. And when it doesn't, to be able to pour yourself into your running riding, swimming, whatever your sport is, whatever your discipline is. And if you're listening and you're not even athletic and you just like my show, thank you. I love you for listening, but I preach every show, please get back off the couch. Please put your shoes on. Please get back to whatever or start something new that you haven't done before because um, that was your place to bury it all. That was your place to swim more laps, to push a bigger gear on the bike, to go for more watts, to run harder into the wind because you're suffering and it's emotional. And then when the race day comes, now you're on the field and now's your chance to say, you know, of course you love your teammates. Yeah, I know you're competitive, man. I get that, man. Cause I, you can't, you might be more competitive than me because I just know competitive <laughs> people instantly. I know them instantly, but yeah, you're like, you beat your teammates. Of course you're excited about that, but that, that's, that's not it, man. It's just like, they were just in the way that day because of all the other stuff that you were going through. And, you know, the truth is it didn't matter what color jersey they had on that day. You were just going to go get the next person and the next person and you were going to keep going and you didn't even know what time you ran. You had no idea. And you're an hour and 
20 minutes faster than your best time or something like that. I'm ballparking it, but whatever that is, that's completely absurd. I mean, you know, you don't cut an hour and 20 minutes off an Ironman time, especially when it isn't your first one to a second one or something like that. I mean, it's, it's just something that doesn't happen. So, um, for all of the roughness and the emotions and all of that, that is entailed with a divorce and a breakup and, you know, you came out the other side and you had a chance to push all of that emotion and energy and direct it towards your race, your racing, and the things that make you happy. And you got something amazing to come out of it. So God bless. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's, that's right. And you, you mentioned earlier, just that it, regardless of what end of it you're on, it still feels like a failure. And that was, that was, I think, really the first time in my life that I just felt like I kicked and clawed and fought and just was not able, wasn't able to come out victorious. You know, I everything in my life, I have been able to figure out a way to get it done in some capacity. Um, and with my marriage, I I couldn't. And I didn't. And, and that was a really big hit because it's a big deal. It's a big commitment. And so that, that was really just like shook me to my core because I just have been so successful at figuring out a way to get things done. And, um, and so, yeah, that just, (laughs) just that, that failure or, or the, the feeling of failure definitely, um, spurred a great day. So, um, yeah, you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. And it spurred a great day and you had that in you. Okay. But so do you just know for your future, like learn that you have to find a way we all do. How do we tap into what those emotions were like? Um, when my marriage unraveled, similarly, it was before the hundredth Boston marathon. I never ran more miles in my life because part of me was just like trying to punish myself for whatever my responsibility was. Cause no matter what you do, you're always thinking like, okay, this it's my fault, right? Or how much of this is my, it doesn't matter how much of it is your fault and how much goes to the other side. It doesn't matter. Okay. At the end of the day, you're going to come to this decision and then you, you both got to move forward and you both got to move on. And, um, in my case, you know, my son was only a few years old. He's 23 years old now. And, you know, 20 years later, my ex is one of my best friends in the whole world. Um, and I'm more proud of that because I never could have expected that that would come to be because there is animosity. There is so much anxiety and emotion and you don't know how to talk to each other. You don't know how to exist with each other because you can't just walk away because you have a child and you got to figure it out. And of all the things I'm proud of, I'm probably the most proud of that because through all of Ronnie's schooling years and all of his formative things and everything up through the line, we always did it together. We're always there together. Um, And a lot of people would be like, you guys are divorced? I'm like, yeah, we're divorced. Like they didn't, it was not something that people could pick up on at all because we get along really well, but it was the right thing to do. So, you know, in your case, I'm sure you did everything you could. And you just have to move forward as you did. And you got to tap into that energy, you know, that you pushed into that race and put into race day after the training, because that's where the gold is. Um, And it isn't easy, 
because it's you can't manufacture those kind of feelings. You can't manufacture that kind of emotion. It's it's just hard to quantify, but it's different because there's no limit of how far you'll ride or how hard you'll do something. You'll just go um, because it's a way to just temporarily realize like, I feel better, this is helping, and this is what I can control for this very moment. You know, for this hour, for this two hours, looking at that black line in the pool or wherever, like this is how we get through, you know, to the other side. So what a cool, um, what a cool experience to not even have any idea what your time was. I mean, talk about being in the moment. Did you not have a watch on or you just weren't paying no attention to it? I just wasn't paying attention. Um, I had, I had my splits that I was trying to hit every mile for my run. And so, I mean, my watch was on, it was on run mode. I was looking at my, my lap pace <laughs> and my average pace and, and that was it. And so I, I hadn't, I don't know, I guess I just didn't think to look at my overall time. And, and I'm glad that I didn't, um, no regrets about that. Cause I think that's when you start to put pressure on yourself of, Oh, I need to, you know, do this and that. And my game plan was just to follow my, my mile splits. Um, and so that's what I was focused on and turned out really, really well. There's, there's a lot of gold in there. Um, I know some pretty badass women who ran in the Olympic trials in the marathon who turned their watches over or put tape over them or did all sorts of things because they just wanted to feed off the crowd. And if their coach was out there on the course, maybe he was giving them a little bit of like, Hey, where you are, your, your ex, you know, try to move up to here and not be focused on pace, not be paying attention because again, you know, you talked about the Texas bike course being really flat. Well, that's great on a day when you don't have the wind, but what about a day when you got 15, 20, 30 mile an hour winds? I mean, you might be putting out, you know, 25% more effort to hold watts or miles per hour than you are in a day when there, you know, isn't, isn't wind. So like these things affect us so much. And when we're worried so much about our average pace per mile, but the course is really rolling and the hills are really big and maybe the heat and humidity starts to climb as the day goes on, like, hey, you know, you're way better off to just be running by feel riding by feel. And sometimes our best results come when we really don't know, because we're just really free. We're in the moment and the pressure is, the pressure isn't off. You're pushing with everything you have, but you're not looking at something that's going to give you feedback to say, whoa, Bonnie, better dial it back a little bit here. We're getting a little too far over our ski tips. We better slow down a little. No, like when you're not thinking and you're just running or riding, something better can happen. So who knows? Maybe maybe in some other races, same thing. You know, just again, don't don't really pay attention <laughs> to your overall time and just keep pushing and, you know, maybe maybe we'll maybe we're going to crack. We know we're going under 10:47. I mean, that's like not even that's not even in question. We know we're going under that. Now, how close were you to qualifying for Kona that day? Do you know? Um, I was not close. Okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, um, it was, I mean, it was a great day for a lot of people. Um, and I think I can't remember, I think it was maybe two slots in my age group and the girl who won my age group also, uh, won overall women, um, age group women. Um, and she beat me by like an hour and 40 minutes or, oh, <laughs> or wow. something. I mean, she just smoked me. So totally insane. Uh-huh, yeah. So, so I was not close, but, but neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, it, the, the times that people are putting down 
and putting together at Ironman distances are really, it just boggles the mind. Um, people are just getting more and more, I mean, averaging 20 miles an hour for 112 miles on the bike. I mean, that's, that's amazing. I mean, that's absolutely unbelievable. Like it's such an incredible accomplishment. I mean, to be able to average that for, for 112 miles, it's, it's crazy. I don't care if you're riding downhill. <laughs> if you're in a 10% grade riding downhill on an indoor bike trainer, that is an amazing experience. And if you didn't do anything else the rest of the day, if you didn't <laughs> swim or run, it's completely and utterly amazing. So God bless, man. Kudos. Great Thank stuff. You. And you know, your 407 marathon, look, there's no competitive athlete out there. Anytime you are close to a round number, it's always going to be hard to swallow. You know, it's like, oh man, if I could have just run 359. And then if you ran that, you would have been like, well, if I could have ran 349, like we're always going to pick some other number, like 1047. If I could have run 1039, I'd be really happy. We're never really happy. The number, no. somebody's going to keep moving that number forever, Bonnie. So you know what? Just know that you already know it, but you know it anyway. So it's all good. And you know, you're going to keep chasing. That's what, that's what the fun of the sport is about. You keep chasing, you keep going, and, you know, you work on everything, you know, you work on the pool, you work on your drills, all that stuff on the bike, you know, you get stronger, the more miles you ride, you know, you work on your positioning and riding in groups and all that kind of good stuff. And running off the bike is always going to be the hardest thing. I mean, it's just no matter how many bricks you do, no matter how much you try, there's nothing harder in the world to do. And you're not talking about, in at least in a 70.3, it's a half marathon. In an Ironman, it's a full marathon. So it's like, I mean, I, it's just so mind boggling to see that these men are running like low eight hours and the times the women are running are just bonkers. I mean, crazy, crazy. And these are not easy courses. Okay. I'm not, I'm looking at the course profile going like I'm seeing Coeur d'Alene and I think they were at this weekend. I'm like, it was like a hundred degrees. And it's like, you know, really? Okay. <laughs> right. And I think the bike course is like 7,000 feet of climbing or something. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. which means I'm automatically going to average like five miles an hour or less <laughs> because my biggest problem on the bike is because I had a really bad crash at 50 miles an hour, like 20 years ago. So like that never goes away. You never forget that. You just don't. And I'm not, I'm not saying I ride the brakes all the time on steep downhills, but there's no way I'm riding down a crazy like Tour de France hill and going 60 miles an hour. No way that's happening. Yeah. I'm riding my brake and I'm saying, <laughs> God knows how many Hail Marys or our fathers on the way down the hill asking, you know, maybe even making promises and I'll never do another <laughs> triathlon again if I make it safely down the bottom of the hill. Cause I, I don't know how, I just don't know how in God's name they can ride at those speeds that close together. They're literally like inches apart from each other. And then of course you saw that woman come onto the course. I mean, it's just insanity. I mean, these guys are broken to pieces and they're out of the tour de France. Imagine training your whole life to ride in this race. And maybe that's your first tour. And some crazy woman comes on the course with a giant sign. And then boom, you're like, you know, have broken collarbones and elbows and knees and God knows what. Right. Right. I, and it was so, it was so many athletes like, Oh gosh. Yeah. That's, it's, that's horrible. <laughs> Awful. Awful. So let's talk. So that's your best Ironman race PR experience. I know you had another pretty cool experience. So I'm remembering, I'm pretty sure you raced one with your sister, right? Didn't you guys okay. do one together? 
You want do you want to talk about that? Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, my sister that I mentioned earlier that I live with, she's two years younger than me. Her name's Betsy, and um, her and I have kind of been two peas in a pod for our entire life. Um, we shared a room growing up for forever, um, and just have really been best friends. And, um, we had, we had talked a little bit about her doing an Ironman and she was like, you know, I, I don't know if I want to commit the time to it. Um, she has done at at that point, she'd probably done two or three full marathons, um, lots and lots of half marathons played, um, college volleyball. So, um, really gifted athletically, and just had never gotten into triathlon. Um, and she'd gotten a lot of pressure from people <laughs> who saw me and who saw mom do Ironman. And people are always like, Bets, are you going to, are you going to do an Ironman? And, Not in your family. Uh, <laughs> no way they would put any pressure on from mom and your other siblings. Sorry. I just had to throw that in. Sorry. <laughs> you may be right on that one. <laughs> Um, but with all the pressure, she's like, fine, I'm, I'm going to do one just so that people can stop asking me, um, eventually, you know, when, when the timing is right. And, um, her husband was, and, and still is currently in the military and he, um, got deployed for a nine month deployment leading up to Ironman, Texas, essentially. And so he was going to be gone. She was in school getting her master's and just thought, you know what? training for an Ironman will keep me focused. It'll, you know, kind of give me something to do while he's deployed. Um, and she (laughs) was, this is a pretty cool story. She was praying about it and is like, Lord, I am not going to buy a bike. I don't even think I like this sport, but if somehow I magically get a bike, somehow then I'll, I'll do this Ironman. Um, and, probably less than a week later, I bought a new bike and texted her and just said, Hey, I don't know if you have any interest in using my old bike for anything, but would be glad to put it on loan to you for any amount of time. Um, and she got that text and is like, okay, I guess I'm doing an Ironman. (laughs) So she was living in Houston at the time. And, um, so she was training in Houston and I was training up here in Dallas so unfortunately, unfortunately, we didn't get to do the training together, but, um, I mean, it was really, really a, just a fun day. Um, I was a little bit cautious of, of stealing her first Ironman experience from her. You know, I, I was like, I would be glad to race this whole thing right next to you, but I also don't want, I don't want to do that if you don't want me to do that. Um, and she, she was just like, please, you know, please race with me. Like what a, what a cool thing for us to get to do together. Um, which, you know, she was right. Um, it was very, very cool. Um, so we started, started together and I just tracked her on the swim. I just said, you swim and I will make sure to not lose you. Um, and we went through transition together and then I followed her on the bike, um, and on all the hills as we're hills. I mean, it was Ironman, Texas, so very small hills that you'd be, you know, grinding up them and she'd be all, come on bets. And I'm like, come on bets. You know, we're both just cheering each other on. And, um, 
Yeah. I mean, just spent, spent the whole day together. Um, the, the run was a lot of fun, just trying to, to navigate how are we going to get through this marathon? Um, and so we put together the plan of, um, I think that we could walk as long as we wanted to through aid stations. And then once we started running, we had to run all the way to the next aid station. Um, and so, you know, aid stations were about a mile apart. And so we knew we were always running less than, less than a mile. And so mentally it was just kind of, you know, easier to break it up in chunks like that. And, you know, people all day were asking us if we were twins and asking us for sisters and, um, just, just experiencing this thing that is so close to my heart, um, with her and, and getting to share this with her and, and show her like, Oh, I, I love this part of the course or, Oh, look at this amazing house that we get to, um, run by or, Oh, I remember, you know, this volunteer from previous years because they always wear the, you know, puka shells and the hula skirt or, you know, just, just all of those little things that make, make race day unique, um, getting to bring her into that and then getting to, to finish the Ironman together and just experience the red carpet with her, you know, hand in hand. Um, we were both just weeping and hugging and, um, it was, it was a really special thing that we got to, that we got to share. I got chills. That's such a cool, what a cool experience. Um, couldn't even imagine doing something like that with one of my brothers who I'm super tight with, or even more so I dream of maybe running a marathon with my son one day because he was a terrific runner also. His mom was a 253 marathoner, super competitive runner, and I used to coach her. And so he was really talented, did, chose not to run in college just because he was a double major and really busy. Um, but he'll get back to it at some point. But that'd be the closest thing I could think of. Um, if we ever ran a marathon together or at least some portion of it together, but to do a whole triathlon, like, and, and an Ironman at that, um, what an amazing, amazing day. Cause yeah, you really can't ride the bike together cause of drafting. I mean, so, you know, there, yeah, I'm sure you had some moments where you probably were close enough to like see each other on the bike and you were following her on the swim. So you could cite her and <laughs> make sure she was going to make it and make it through. But man, that run must've been cool. Um, because you got to hang out through all the aid stations. That was your chance to regroup and chat and, you know, um, and make sure, you know, you get all your fluids in because you don't want to crash and burn on an Ironman. Not a good situation. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, while we were out there, I was like, you know, what, what are you most surprised about? What, what didn't you expect out here? And, um, I love what she says, what she said. And I always tell other first timers, um, she was like, you know, I, I expected it to be this long, but I didn't expect it to be this painful. Um, just everything, the bottoms of my feet and my knees and my joints. And, you know, you you expect your quads and your hamstrings and, and all these really obvious muscles to be in pain, but she's like, I, I didn't expect everything to be this painful. Um, which I think really, <laughs> really captures the essence of Iron Man uh, really, really well. <laughs> yeah, there's a good reason why we have rooms in our houses called the pain cave, because we know <laughs> we know what sort of shit we're into once once the actual race gets it gets going, man. It's like, they're long days, and uh, I don't care how fit you are, and I don't care how perfect your day is going. At some point, 
somebody's going to come and get you and something's going to hurt and something's going to shock or surprise you or something's going to trip you up or it's just going to cause you to really question, am I going to make it through this day? Am I going to be able to get back on course? Or if I take a fall on the bike or I flat on the bike or again, get kicked in the head swimming or people swimming over the top of you. There's just just so many things that happen to you in the course of that day. I mean, you're covering 140.6 miles. It's bananas. I mean, it's bananas beyond belief. So yeah, great insights. It's going to hurt like hell. And it's going to hurt like hell in places you didn't even know could hurt. I mean, spots of your body that you didn't even know existed. You're like, what? What is this? That you know what? I guarantee you, she'll never forget that. As long as she's on the search, she'll never forget what it felt like to go down that red carpet together with you um, and to share that moment with you and to find out about herself that just like her mom and just like you, that she could hear those words, you are an Iron Man. So that's pretty sweet. Yes. Yes. Very cool day. I hope you got some good picks. We got some awesome picks. I'm going to have to send them to you. They are some very good pictures. All right. No <laughs> doubt at least one or two will make their way into your collage for the post a hundred percent. And uh, kudos to her for uh, taking care of business, you know? I mean, cause she just basically was like your mom. She just rolled off the couch and said, I'm going to do an Ironman. And you gave her the bike. So, you know, <laughs> that was it. That was her only excuse. And then she didn't have one anymore. So yeah, your family doesn't mess around, man. They get down to business. That's right. Not wasting time. Yeah, no, no, not at all. So one of the things I always like to uh, ask about, because behind my wall over there, you see the stay in the fight sign. That's my mantra that I use racing. And so does the great David Goggins, although I'm pretty sure he stole it from me, or at least that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Um, What's your mantra uh, when you're out there racing, you know, when you hit the tough spots or even just maybe you use it for all areas of your life? What's your mantra? I'm sure you have one. Hmm. Good question. I think I think it's probably different in different seasons of my life, depending on on you know where I'm at. Um, but I I I think in terms of racing, what I've clung to the most was um, a directive from my coach um, the day that I went out and got my PR. Um, he just said, "Go do something amazing." Um, and it was tucked into about a 15 page <laughs> race report that he, you know, writes up for, for me and goes over what the temps should be and what the course should be. And just the plan of everything fueling from pre-race to, you know, every piece of the, uh, race day. And, you know, it, it's just this enormous report that I'm so thankful for, cause it, it's part of kind of my process just reading through it, even though I've read through it, you know, for all my races and I know what it's going to say. Um, and usually in the beginning, there's kind of a more personalized, like, Hey, this is the season that you've been in, you know, just a few more personalized notes. And in this one, he said, he said, go do something amazing, um, was kind of his general, um, general, um, decree for me. Um, and I really clung to that, that day and have thought about it so many times since then. And, and I like that. I like that it's relatable to, to anything, you know, doing something amazing at Ironman Tulsa might've looked really different than doing something amazing at Ironman Florida last year. Um, and in every season of life, 
amazing, looks different. Um, but it, it's still a call to be excellent and to compete um, with integrity because um, I don't think you do something amazing without <laughs> without doing it with integrity. Um, and so I really, I really like that one. Um, you know, there's a, there's a million quotes out there and like, you know, impossible is nothing. And just, just all of these very like gimmicky ones, but I, I really just like go do something amazing. I love it. It resonates with you. And as I tell everybody who comes on the show, um, and as I speak to our audience, uh, a mantra has to connect with you. It doesn't matter if David Goggins like it, or I like it, or you like it. It only matters if the person who's going to be saying those words in the most difficult time, or maybe in the most amazing time, the most momentous moment that's out there, the biggest moment, you know, their chain comes off, something happens. And it's just like, it's that point where you can just cave in and you can crack and you could find the self-pity and the negative talk. Or if you've prepared yourself, and your coach giving you a 15-page razor for it. Lordy, love this dude already. I'm totally loving this because, look, preparation is everything, okay? And it doesn't matter if you know every word that's in there. That's the whole point. That just shows me what kind of relationship you have with your coach and what kind of coach he is because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many times you talk about the New York City Marathon course. I know every elevation. I know the bridge elevations. I know the parts of the course that are dangerous that can get away from you where you come off the bridge and run into New York City. It's like coming into a scene at a gladiator and people are screaming and going bananas. You could start running six flat 550 pace in a heartbeat and all of a sudden you're running 30 seconds, 40 seconds a mile faster than your marathon pace and it's like, oops, I just ran three miles, 30 seconds under my marathon pace at the 16th, 17th, and 18th mile of the New York City Marathon. Oops, I have eight <laughs> more miles to go and I have two more bridges and then I have the hills in Central Park. Probably not a good idea. <laughs> Probably a really bad idea. And I can't tell you how many race guides or strategy guides are out there for the New York City Marathon, but yet people do it every single time. So kudos to your coach, man, for being thorough and giving you a blueprint or a plan because that's where it all starts. You've got to think through the whole damn thing from the beginning to unracking your bike and getting out of the transition. And, you know, are you going to change socks? What are you going to do before you get out on the run? You got to think about it because trust me, you don't want to go out there and race day and not have thought about it because the last thing you want is indecision. If you've thought about it and you read it in your plan, and you put it in your mind, when you get into that area, then you just know what you're going to do. It becomes almost robotic. And of course, you could make a little change if you have to. But the truth is, we perform way better when we have some sort of expectation. So I think that's really great that he's laying that out for you. And um, you're, you're going to work well as a team together. And go do something amazing. Yeah, that's totally badass. I mean, of course, why not? And the great perspective you brought is, Going, doing something amazing is going to vary based on the conditions of that day, okay? The Boston Marathon course is one course. New York is another course. Ironman Texas is flat. You know, Ironman Florida is flat. But Coeur d'Alene, 7,000 feet of climbing. If you're going there thinking you're going to have the same bike split on that course, well, you better be a one hell of a climber on the bicycle. <laughs> and you better be riding a lot of vert all the time. And you better be prepared because otherwise you're going to have a disappointing day in the saddle. Okay. So it's all about expectation and like managing expectation and all of that. So that's super cool. Um, on coaching, that's definitely, 
you know, I know, you know, going back to your high school soccer coach, you know, that style connected with you. That was good. Um, is there any other coach we didn't get to who's had an impact or maybe even a mentor that's had an impact on you with life, your athletics outside of like your mom and the influence that she's had? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, my, my current triathlon coach, um, I met him when I was, um, training for my first Ironman and I, um, typically swam from, I can't remember what it was. I typically swam from, from, you know, five 30 to six 30 on Mondays or something. And, and one Monday I was running late and I was there until seven and a whole bunch of people show up at the pool. And I'm like, these guys look really <laughs> intense. Who are you? <laughs> um, you know, and I'm three months into trying to become a triathlete. And so I, you know, start talking to the most enormous man who appeared to be their coach. And it, it was, it was Dave. And he's like, come on out. would love to have you would love to help you out. And I'm like, thank you. I have no idea what I'm doing. This would be great. Um, and I mean, that, that is who he is through and through. Um, he didn't know anything about me, but he said, let me help you. Um, and so, you know, that was, 2014. And, and now seven years later, he is, he's still coaching me and has coached me through a lot of Ironmans and a lot of different seasons of life. Um, but he's, he's just really, really good at, um, knowing when to push, um, and knowing when to back off and say, you know what, life, life is happening and triathlon can take a backseat right now. Um, and he's, he's really good at, at focusing on, on his athletes as, as humans, um, first <laughs> before being triathletes. And so he has really, um, just cared for me, um, in, in almost like a brotherly or like fatherly type way, um, in, in a lot of, a lot of different times, um, which is really, really cool, but I, I really respect him. He's very, very smart and, um, would absolutely help help anybody. I mean, glad to, glad to do anything for anybody. And, um, so I just, I, I respect him a lot and I'm thankful that I ran into him <laughs> at the pool because I was running late. Happenstance. Sometimes it leads us into places that we were just meant to, meant to be led. And, uh, God bless that he's, uh, Dave is so good at reading cues and understands, um, you know, what makes you tick and, how you're going to thrive and perform best. And for everybody out there, if you don't have a relationship like that with your coach, or if you're looking for a coach, man, it's all about the dynamics and how you communicate. And if the person who's going to coach you cares about you and understands when your life gets a little messy or is on an uptick, or if you're exhausted or run down, or maybe a family member was sick with COVID, like they have to understand all these elements. They got to be able to piece that all together to be able to write you a correct, you know, training plan to get ready for a race and also make adjustments for you on like what a race goal is and a time goal and what are you shooting for? Because it isn't just about the time. It might be a podium. It might be what place do you want to hit in your age group? Because sometimes that might be more meaningful. Like, let's not worry about our time today. Let's see if you can go top 10 in your age group, something like that. So whatever those kind of goals are, Having a coach who understands you and believes in you and is going to work with you throughout all those situations, there's so much value in that. So keep looking for somebody like Dave, um, you know, that Bonnie has, that's going to 
you know, be there as your advocate and help you achieve uh, your best. Yeah. And I, I like that you said somebody who believes in you because I mean, c- kind of the ranking of people who believe in me is mom and then Dave. I mean, those two, they think that I could do absolutely anything. And, um, and that is, that's really powerful to, to have two forces <laughs> that powerful, just saying, go, go do, go do something amazing. Um, and, and believing that you can, um, is a very, very powerful and motivating thing. Preach. It's everything. Um, how we believe more in ourselves sometimes is driven by the people we love the most, the people who we admire the most and we care about the most, what they think about us. So in my case, that's always going to be my mom. Um, always, because I'm always trying to impress my mom. I'm always trying to show my mom I'm tough like she is. I'm always trying to show her that I can keep going and persevere because that's how she's lived her life um, and overcome so many obstacles and just never, ever, ever looked for any excuses or why she couldn't do something just had to get done so it was gonna get done and it was always one foot in front of the other and it's so funny because my mom was not an athlete other than you know teaching us to play a sport but it was always like you put one foot in front of the other that's how you live your life you don't ever let anything stop you if something's in front of you you go around it you go over it you go under and like my mom would always give me the simplest advice but it always worked and anytime i was ever stuck or in an awful spot somewhere in a race or in life i will always think of her and, you know, I'll channel that image. So God bless. You got your mom and you got your coach. So that's two really good people. But I also know that you have somebody in triathlon that you kind of consider a mentor, somebody who's challenged you and pushed you. So do you want to give them a little shout out? Because we're winding down here as we get to the end of the road here, you know, because it's important because you're so focused on sharing and community. So I want to give you the shot. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I mean, I'd love to, um, talk about two people. Um, one being, um, one of my triathlon triathlon mentors, um, Jeff, um, he is, he's, I would say really similar in a lot of ways to, um, coach Dave, um, just in the way that he believes in me, the way that he supports me. Um, he really threw some of those years as I was kind of trying to figure out my life and kind of shift my identity and and figure out what all that looked like. He was very, very intentional about, um, about just pursuing me in terms of emotional health and, and being willing to say, how are you, how are you doing? How is it going? Not just generally, but like today, how are you? Um, what can I do for you? How can I support you, um, in terms of training, in terms of life, Um, and I think that that is an area that the world generally struggles with. Um, we live in this very passive world. Hey, how are you? Good, good, good. How are you? Um, and so much of the time people are nervous to ask the the hard questions. And Jeff is very good at, at just looking you in the eyes and saying, tell me how you really are. Um, and so I'm very, very thankful for him, um, in that regard. Um, and he, I mean, also just pushes me all the time, all the time in terms of training, which I hate, um, at the time he's always saying, come on, you're riding with a faster group. You're running with the faster group. And, um, I never want to, 
but he, he always makes me, which is, is better for me, um, because he believes in me. He knows that I can do it and, um, is, you know, is anxious to push me. Um, so Jeff is absolutely wonderful. Really, really respect him. Um, but also my boyfriend Garrett is really great. Um, we, at this point have been dating for about 10 months and, um, he does, um, triathlon professionally. And so he's much, much more, um, (laughs) skilled, much faster than I am, but, um, he's just been really, really, um, supportive of, of me training at my level, even though it's really different than his level. Um, he just, he thinks, thinks the world of me and, um, just has been really supportive in my training and encouraging in my training and, um, is, is really good at, at pushing me. And, um, lately he's been trying to make me lift, (laughs) which I hate, (laughs) but it's, it's good for me, you know? And so he's kind of helping me branch out and just continue to, to, you know, grow my love of the sport even more. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for, for him and the way that he, you know, takes care of me personally, but also, also in the triathlon space. So. Love it. You have, you're surrounded by people who really care about you. Um, so we have Dave on the coach, you know, so you have Jeff and it's Garrett, right? Garrett. Yeah. Yeah. So Garrett. So now that's, that's just awesome. Fabulous. And, um, you know, he's going to pro, so you're going to have to chase him down at some point. That's going to be the challenge of a lifetime, but you know, it can't hurt. It can't hurt having uh, a pro uh, opposite you spending time in your life uh, working on stuff together. And it's good because you're in the same sport and you understand the commitment and the time responsibilities. And, you know, that can kill so many relationships because people just don't understand why you're going to go out on a bicycle for five hours or go run for three hours on the trail. And that's not all it takes. It's the time to get out to the trail or the time to get to where the ride starts and back. And, you know, if somebody's not in our sport, whatever that sport is, or just even understands the commitment level, it can really put strain on relationships. So good for you that you're involved with somebody now who's in it all the way and is going to give you all that support because it's only going to help you, you know, rise higher in the end. That's right. And he knows I'm, I'm gunning for him. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Track him down. Um, so, um, before we roll out, I always like to ask people, um, something community service minded. Um, I know you care greatly for the community and the volunteering side of the sport itself and all that, but for you personally, what are some areas that you like to get involved with with community service that really matter to you? Gosh, I feel, I feel like I'm dropping the ball on, (laughs) on this category as of lately, but also, you know, we've been in that pandemic, that small thing. Um, but I think, I think the biggest service work that I've done has been through my church, um, which has looked different in different parts of my life. Um, you know, as I've kind of moved around my church back in Houston growing up and then through college in San Antonio and, and now in Dallas, I've had a couple different home churches, but kind of always trying to get plugged in there to do, to do service work. Um, and it's looked really different. Um, I think most recently, just as an example, um, my home church here, um, we are right across the street from a school. Um, and so during the summer, we'll typically do, a you know, a, a two or three day 
overhaul to just get in the school and we're scraping gum off desks and we're repainting walls and we're cleaning up stuff that's just been run down over the course of the year. Um, it's, it's kind of an inner city school. Uh, um, most of the students there are low income. And uh, so any, any amount of work that we can contribute to the school to um, just make it a, a place that students are more proud to be. Um, and, and I know that this, the school district really, really appreciates it. Um, and so it's kind of one example, but it, it looks different. Um depending on natural disasters, you know, we had a tornado blow through a year or two, which, which did some pretty serious damage. And so we kind of rallied together to make sure that people had water and people had places to stay and um, electricity and people were donating generators and, and all kinds of things. And so um, whatever the community needs um, is, is kind of what the church does. And um, I really believe in that and in local churches that serve the people in, in that surrounding surrounding area. Wonderful. Always great to get involved with the community and help out in the church and with schools and just all of those things and roll up your sleeves and always makes you feel a lot better about yourself. I also know you and your mom like to volunteer at races as well. So that's a, that's a pretty cool thing you get, you guys get to do together. So um, really awesome stuff. Now we covered a lot. Um, it's been a good long run chat, but is there <laughs> anything we didn't get to, um, before we roll out? Cause you shared some really super inspiring stories. They're going to fire up a lot of people and get people <laughs> off the couch and inspires or anything we didn't get to before we roll out of here. I think the only thing that I didn't really mention, just, just the small, I guess, charge. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of people in my community, kind of aspire to do an Ironman someday, or they, they get into triathlon and they start small and they're like, Oh, maybe, maybe someday. And, and I think that, um, I don't know. I think once you've done shorter distance triathlon, sometimes you get sucked into the world of triathlon and you maybe don't love it. <laughs> It, you know, or, or you do one Ironman and you're like, that, that was miserable. I did not enjoy that. And so my charge to people is always like, if you don't love it, that's okay. Like I love it, but that doesn't mean you have to. And so if you don't like take some time, reflect and be honest with yourself. And if you don't love it, go find something else because there's a million things out there to be doing, whether that's 5Ks, if it's, you know, bike rallies, if it's obstacle course racing, if it's Spartan, if it's Zumba, I mean, whatever it is, find find what moves you and what you love and go do that, even if it is different than what you feel like you've already invested your time and your money in. Like it, it's not too late to find to find the thing that you love. That's great advice. Also a fabulous place for us to land it because there's somewhere out there there's some space that's going to make you really happy. Um, and it may not be what Bonnie's doing or I'm doing or anybody else is doing. You, you have to figure out what that space is. Just keep looking. Um, and as we say at the end of every episode, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight, my friends. Wow. So much inspo in that convo. I really enjoyed chatting with Bonnie, learning about all of her Ironman adventures and journeys and journeys yet to be and fun discussions about her family and the dynamics between them 
the competitiveness, the fire. Want to show up over there for a game of Parcheesi. I'm sure it'd be a lot of fun. Anyway, um, I hope you all pull a lot from this episode. So much in there. Uh, so many good nuggets uh, and threads to pull on. And just want to wish you all a happy 4th of July weekend. I hope you all get to celebrate with your family and friends and enjoy an extended weekend and catch up on some pods. Listen to some Run Chats pods and share the love as you all have been doing. So appreciated. And uh, for those that take that extra step and hop on to Apple Podcasts and write a review, just means so much. It really helps us in the rankings. It, it helps, brings us new listeners to the show. And also, most importantly, helps me um, get uh, more awesome guests like Bonnie for the show. So please, everyone that's been doing that, thank you so much. It means, uh, means the world to me. And anybody who's been thinking about doing it, jump in, get involved. We're going to have some fun swag and fun giveaway uh, coming soon. And uh, I'd love to send it to people that are uh, taking that extra step and being part of the Run Chats fam. So again, I hope you all have a wonderful fourth with your families. And as I say every time, keep lacing them up, keep getting out the door, and always remember to stay in the fight. Peace out, my friends. <laughs>